The Athletic. Totally football show. Today saying Carabao wow as West Ham and Newcastle made Arsenal and Man United Carabao out. A lateral result that was entirely fitting, unlike United stockings. We salute the Hammers and Magpies and look forward to the games this weekend. There's Newcastle Arsenal, top of the table Tottenham against Pochettino and a little further afield the Copa Libertadores. Plus some Villa chat, people scoring from unfeasible distances and more in this Totally Football Show. Listener, it's you. Hello. Uh, the 2nd of November, as we record here at uh, Tooley Football Show Studios. What have we got for you today? Benji Lanyado, fresh out of Pick Fair. Hey, Jimbo. Mm. Duncan Alexander from The Athletic. Hello. But not in The Athletic today, Duncan. You're, you're, you're remote. I am remote, yeah. Um, I could say I'm cowering from Storm Kieran, but it doesn't seem too bad around here. Right. Me. Seems calm where you are. Also with us today, Luis Miguel Echegaray from ESPN. An absolute pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Luis, it's the first time we've ever met. What an extraordinary life you've been living. A figure who's kind of popped up from time to time. Always larger than life. Uh, sometimes regaling us with tales of MLS, sometimes of darkest Peru. And today, you're going to be doing a lot on Villa with your thick Brummie accent. <laughs> you like the Villa. I know. The only Peruvian that can do a Birmingham accent, I think. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> probably so. Uh, just before, actually, listener, just before we actually press record, uh, Lewis was explaining how he became a top-ranked ESPN football writer uh, dispatched to these shores from uh, America to cover uh, the Premier League. And you spent 15 years acting? I did. I did. 15 years doing the acting thing, the waiter acting thing, right. the off-Broadway acting thing, the off-off-off-off-Broadway okay. acting thing. But yeah. you also had some big productions. Okay. They are, uh, yeah, it's big in terms of names. Okay. Uh, so I, the film is called? Mutant Chronicles. Love Mutant that Chronicles. One. Did you see that, Benji? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, Benji. Really? Yeah, and the, and the, the follow-up, the sequel. Uh-huh. What was the sequel called? Uh, in, increasingly Mutant. <laughs> right. uh, okay, you're just playing around. I here. know. I was about to send them money via my oh. bank account. For <laughs> so um, who's in the film then? All right. So the cast is amazing. John Malkovich. What? Ron Whoa. Perlman. No way. Whoa. Indeed. Thomas Jane. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The Punisher. Yeah. yeah. Devin Aoki. Okay. Yeah. 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 I know the name. Why do I know uh, the name? Steve Aoki's sister. She was in Sin City. Okay. Uh, she, All right. Yeah. And uh, a few others. Uh, the writer, uh, also well known, uh, did Events Horizon. A very oh, right. What, was, writer, your, what yeah. was your role? And I played El Jesus. El Jesus. El Jesus. Uh, no nonsense. I don't care what you're going to tell me, kind of like. Oh, really? What? How many it lines? It was very did stereotypical. You have? <laughs> what kind of lines? Did oh, you I have? was. Thomas Jane was the main actor, the yeah. main character. I yeah. was his best friend. You're kidding. No, I played. Okay, a give us a line from the film. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give you the first scene. Okay. It's. Okay, first of all, it's an apocalyptic zombie movie in the future. Okay. Where everything is just destroyed. So it's gone back to like sort of industrial first world war kind of like. And the first scene is me in the trenches. There's rain. Well, you grew up in Birmingham. so Exactly. So I know exactly. (laughs) (laughs) The Peruvian restaurant right next to uh, uh, the Bullring. Anyway, uh, and I was in the trenches and this priest comes and he's like trying to bless everybody because they're about to die. And it's just me against the wall. And the water, the blessed water touches my forehead and I go, Gracias, Padre. I feel all cleansed and sh**, and that's it. 
Magnificent. Magnificent. What about John Markovich? What was his role in all this? He played like the old sort of president, leader, prime ministerish kind of the free world, yeah, the non mutants, exactly. And 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 Ron Perlman is like this sort of uh, safe kind of guy that comes in and says, "We have to stop the zombies." (laughs) And John Malkovich is like, "Let's put together a team," and that's I'm I'm part of that team. Damn, (laughs) Jesus, Duncan, sorry. Yeah, it's um, it's set in the year 2707. I'm just wondering whether Manchester United have won the uh, 21st title. It was the season before it started, actually. They just got right, it okay. done. Yeah, nice. Dalo was manager, I think. I genuinely thought we were going to come in and talk about socks, and here we are <laughs> doing mutant chat. That's amazing. Yeah. Any other big productions, or should we talk football? Uh, I think this is it. Okay. There is lots to talk about yeah. today. Villa. Oh, also, Duncan, it's happy 10 weeks in day to you. Yes, very much so. Um, my favourite time of the season because it's the only time of the uh, the season where the, the win-draw-loss record can also substitute in for uh, formations. So oh, nice. you could have 4-4-2, oh, but nice. no, one's, no one's done that this year. Liverpool had it last year, but it's quite rare. I think probably the most... There's not many realistic ones this year. West Ham have got a record of 4-2-4, but that sounds a little bit attacking for, mm. for Moisey, Benji. I, I thought the whole point about 10 weeks in was that you could mm. finally look at the table. So did you yeah, have a is, look? Yeah, we've, we've published a piece today, actually, uh, Mark Carey looking at how much the league table varies after from 10 games to the end of the season. And basically, it's like 80% done. So, yeah, it's pretty much as is now. So, Villa, so prior Villa to 10 games in, there's massive amount of fluctuation. And then after 10 games, things are 80% settled? Pretty much, yeah. I'm very happy for that. Right. Well, Villa, one point off the top four. I know. Excellent. Benji, you're just back from the London Stadium. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was last night. Plot twist. Oh, you didn't go? No, I did. Ah. And then shortly after the um, Ben White goal, yes. I got a, a call no. from my very pregnant wife. Ooh. Now, it turned out not to be the call. Ah. But I still, <laughs> I, I still went home yeah, and watched clearly. the, I watched the um, second half uh, uh, on the telly. But in between sort of 17 minutes and, and, and half time, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you anything, but I don't think anything happened. Okay. So yeah, no, that that um, still watched the game, mm-hmm. um, but sort of split split my time between the uh, the London Stadium. You and left Howard. after the Ben White uncle. Exactly. Excellent. Well, let's begin with West Ham Arsenal. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Across the sofa. Oh, was there, but so was Ben White, and the chance to. Well then, uh, Benji, West Ham 3, Arsenal 1. A mighty win this for the Hammers. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think you could see the, the, the relative priorities of both, both clubs in the, in the, in the starting lineups. Um, Arteta, I think he started maybe only two of his first choice 11, maybe three if you consider Nketiah to be first choice now. We pretty much played our strongest team apart from Zuma and James Ward-Prowse. And, I, and it's great because I think Moyes is realising that probably the Cups are our best route to, to Europe and some sort of real fun or glory this mm. year. Um, do, because you get, it look, do you get Europe for the League Cup? Yeah, you get... You get, you get Conference um, League if you do win. You? Yeah. But it looks like the League is probably... It's, it's going to be pretty hard to get into Europe via the League this year because right. of yeah, your Villas and, and your Newcastles. So, mm. yeah, I think Moyes really went for it. Um and I guess also in the in the um, in the in the space of this game, West Ham managed to solve 
simultaneously two problems that we've been wrestling with over the last few weeks, which is, firstly, how do you deal with a, with a Mikel Antonio on the wane? Secondly, how do you get Mohamed um, Kudus into the side? And the answer is you put Jared Bowen in the middle. And it suddenly all made sense and it vacated the right wing for Kudus. And yeah, sec- beginning of the second half, we just, we just blew Arsenal away. This Thanks. is no disrespect to West Ham. But one of the most unbelievable things I saw in the transfer window was Mohamed Kudus go to West Ham. Yeah, he's he's looking increasingly sexy. And I think this is the game. Well, the second goal here. Yeah, lovely. So so ball comes over the top from, I think it was a Gwerd. A long way away. No? Long way away. He he controls it with the kind of, you know, the, the, the Cruyff turn mid-air control, essentially. First touch, second touch, left-footed past uh, Ramsdale, um, who was, who you know, was part of this this kind of second string 11 for, for Arsenal. Um, and then, and then that was that. That felt like game over. And then, and then Bowen scores shortly afterwards. After which Declan Rice comes on, and and that kind of had its own little mini mini melodrama. Um, what kind of reception did he get? So, there, some people booed him right when he came out because mm. some people are morons. Um, and then, isn't that tradition though? That's what you do. No, not to someone that's so important to West Ham and so significant and. Like that, it was Matt. It was if you're stupid. Declan Rice. Wouldn't you feel a bit flat if you go out and nobody boos yeah, you? Somebody you give uh, give Frank Lampard that reception, did you, Benji? Uh, <laughs> no, he'd left under under slightly different circumstances. <laughs> Bad mouthed us because, frankly, we just sacked his dad. But that's fine. Anyway, that you cannot like no serious West Ham fan can have anything against Declan. Like, right. We, you know, ideally we would have liked not to have sold him to a, to a, to a London club. Right. But what happened was is that when he came off the bench. Yeah. The small moral minority booed him and the vast majority clapped. Um, and I think even stood to clap. There was a standing ovation. Then when he touched the ball for the rest of the game, mm. he got booed because obviously you're not going to kind of cheer mm. his every touch. So the kind nice, of yeah. the, the silent majority weren't really there for that. Yeah. Also, him leaving enabled you to get Mohamed Kudus and various other players in. What a fantastic transfer window he had. Big time. And, like, and I think that, um, you know, we've, we've, we've finally potentially untangled that knot of what you do with Kudus. Um, and I think he will now start from, for West Ham from now on. Edson Alvarez, how, how did he play? I, I, I've always been appreciative of West Ham's relationship with Mexican players, specifically Edson Alvarez, who's always been relatively respected in the national team and everything, and just see him in the Premier League. I'm trying to think of other ones. So we had obviously yeah, Chicharito. Oh, Chicharito. Chicharito. Oh, we had Luis Jimenez uh, yeah, briefly. Yeah. Anyway, Edson yeah. Alvarez, yep, he, he, he's looking pretty solid. He, he, no, he's not a single-handed, no, he's not single-handedly a, a Declan Rice replacement, but he does the defensive bits, you know, right. and played well last night, as long as he doesn't try and be too ambitious with the ball. Mm. Yeah, we look, we look really good. And even we, though... He didn't the, to begin with, that the first goal coming completely against the run of play. Yeah, but that's sort of what we do. You know, okay, West Ham yeah. at their best, suck, suck up the pressure and then and then you know hit you on a on the break or on a set piece mm. and after that honestly Arsenal showed that there is a pretty soft underbelly in this squad like I feel bad coming back to him again but Havertz just did absolutely nothing like I think that if it wasn't it wasn't for sort of just sparing his embarrassment he would have been taken off at half time like with, they brought their big guns on at the end and, and, and we saw like um, Odegaard obviously scored the consolation and Saka but that beating which essentially it was was pretty limp. Like, it really was very unimpressive. I'm not sure Arteta would care. Right. I think given the choice of sacking off the League Cup early on in the season, mm. he'd probably take it. Right. That is a fair point. And great Arsenal managers in the past have sacked off the League Cup regularly. But 
if that's the case, then why did he then bring on most of his good players? Was in it. So if you're going to give him a rest, give him a rest. But it just seemed weird to then bring on the big five. I was very grateful when he did because it made me think like, okay, actually they did want to win this. Mm. Like it wasn't just a sort of like, you know, they weren't just, just uh, you know, sacking it off. It's like if you're trying to work out when Bukayo Saka can get a rest, then, you know, losing by a comfortable margin of where West Ham in the League Cup doesn't go on the list. So, uh, you know, and he, the, the and, search and, goes on. And Arteta gave it the full sort of woe is me afterwards and talked about like I think I think the interviewer asked him how do we how do we deal you know how do you recover from this they got a big game away in Newcastle at the they weekend do. Yeah. Um, and he said we sit with the bane and I was just like whoa sounds like yeah, Jesus <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. is that one of your is that one of, yeah. it was just, just before I died I think. <laughs> Benji obviously talking about West Ham issues being untangled I think the one thing for Arsenal from that game is that perhaps the, the clamour for Aaron Ramsdale to come back might have died down a bit he wasn't wasn't really at fault for anything, but his kicking wasn't brilliant. And I think, you know, the idea that that he's, you know, deserves to be back in the team possibly is by the by now. Intriguing point. Going out of the League Cup can be good, but there's kind of a sweet spot. You want to do it at the right time. Charlie Eccleshare making the point, you basically want to go out in the early rounds when no one's looking, like Villa did for example. But especially if you're, I mean, for Arsenal, with the league campaign they've got, you can justify I think, putting your priorities elsewhere. When you look at, say, Man United and what happened to them on Wednesday night, that's a very different story. And the defeat, their second straight 3-0 at home, takes on an entirely different proportion. Uh, Luis? Yeah, no, I just, where do you want to go here? With Manchester United, taken in mind, by the way, that this was the exact competition that they won under Eric Ten Hag, and you would think that that was going to be the trajectory from last season. That's right. I remember literally doing a video saying... This is it. Right. And obviously, they got a Champions League spot last season. And now, look. Uh, you know. Against the same team they beat in the final. Oh, sorry. Exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know where you want to go with this. I think, look, let's take away the Glazers and everything. Well, let's talk about Newcastle a second or two. Both okay. teams made a lot of changes. Seven for Man United, eight for Newcastle United. As I mentioned, what didn't change was the result for Eric Ten Hag's team, beaten for the second straight game, 3-0 at home. Newcastle, though, 7,000 travelling supporters Brilliant. making their way through the storm to Old Trafford and taking revenge for last year's final. Yeah, they were fantastic. And they are exactly the opposite of what Manchester United are not right now. They Absolutely. were a team all together. When Matt Target got injured and Miguel Almiron came on, he was ready, ready to go. Every single goal was a collective effort from Newcastle United. And again, I know that we're going to talk about it and you've probably read it already, but Newcastle United, aside from Jolington, who by nature was a striker, they didn't have a single striker. And they still just got it going. It was amazing. The thing, the thing that I find so impressive about Newcastle is that still you look at that squad and I think there is there's still only one elite player in it. And I, and I think that's Kieran Trippier, right? You know, this was their B team last night and you had, you know, Paul Dummett played 90 minutes in, in a team that, that walloped United at Old Trafford and obviously, you know, Man United are part of that. Lewis Hall again with scoring he was on fantastic. his first competitive. He's, he's not a star. I mean, there's, yeah. there, there, there's, um, he was last night. he's really squeezing the quality out of these players. I was looking, by the way. So the Saudis now have been there for two years, which which kind of took me wow. took me by surprise. And um, you know, there's been talk about how the Saudis started, you know, similarly slowly to the Abu Dhabi lot when they bought Man City. But actually, by this stage, two years and four transfer windows, City had bought um, Rubinho, Tevez, Adebayor. Within three years, they'd added Yaya Torre, David Silva, Jekko Balotelli. So I think it's even more credit to Eddie Howe that he's 
gotten to where they are now without the addition of any real stars. So I, I, I listen. You can talk about the the takeover and the ownership, or whatever. I love this team, and and I'm increasingly impressed by Eddie Howe. Okay. How about Man United? A lot of people felt, as you obviously did with that League Cup win last year, that the banter years were over. But instead, here we are with, <laughs> with replica shirts and tight socks. Yeah. It felt like that first Moy season in 2013-14, there were loads of teams that went to Old Trafford who hadn't won there since, you know, 1971 or 1986 or 1924 or whatever. It felt like that well had been drained. But um, this season, it's just happening again. I mean, that's it's the first time United have lost by three goals in back-to-back home games since 1962. Um, it's just... First time they've lost eight of their first 15 matches also since 1962. Incredible. The funny thing is, is that in many ways you probably saw this coming because they're still relying on players that are just not good enough. I mean, Dalo gets an extension in his contract. He's just not good and he was terrible yesterday, right? And the Eric Ten Hag system, which requires you Mm. to put five up top in the final third. And obviously the danger is that the moment you lose the ball, you leave the Red Sea open for everybody. Right. And you would have thought that over the progression since his arrival, that that would be fixed. And it hasn't at all. Casemiro, Real Madrid knew exactly what they were doing when they sold him off because he was aging. There hasn't been a complete replacement. I mean, Amrabat, I, I'm sorry, I, obviously a hero at the World Cup. He hasn't done the job. They're wasting him. He's a brilliant player. The brilliant player, but he's being wasted. And yesterday, Joe Willock's last goal was amazing. But Manchester United literally opened two doors and said, go ahead, have a go. That's funny, that one, because by that point, Gary Neville had essentially just given up. And <laughs> he just makes one of his noises yeah. when he goes in. And Joe Willock is advancing now. Willock! Oh! It's a fabulous finish! And then the entire United back line just kind of sink in unison to yeah. the to their knees. It is just, it is so stinky at United at the moment. It reeks. Like, the, if you're Jim Ratcliffe, I want, you know, do, do, do Ineos... He knows about cleaning up. Well, I'll say, could they manufacture a massive plastic broom for oh, him nice. to just sweep so much of the structure of that team, mm. that club aside and start all Jimbo, over Jimbo, I, I tweeted something yesterday and I okay. really thought it was going to be viral because I was very proud of it. And nice. it, it, didn't, it didn't happen. <laughs> but I'm wondering if it's good enough now. I yep. Comparing Manchester United's situation to what David Simon was trying to tell us in The Wire. Okay. There's no heroes. Yes. Everything is chaos. Right. And the circumstances that are created upon you are based on the institution that you yourself created. Okay. It's and pithy. I thought... I thought that's genius. <laughs> that I showed it to my wife. She was like, this viral. is terrible. And right. nothing happened. Okay, I'm a little bit confused as to what it means, but it sounds <laughs> really good. I'm still trying to figure out. They've what, changed what? the algorithm. No, Otherwise, no. That, would have, that would have flown. United are a castle where everything is broken. Yes. There is no sporting director. Right. There is no ownership that cares about it. Yes. There is no squad that understands the significance of the competitive moment of what they're trying to go for. Okay. And Eric Ten Hag... Looks like maybe he's lost the, the will to... There were close-ups of him yesterday, yeah. and he looked like he wanted to go back to the Netherlands and just never come back. Right. Mm. And there's obviously off-the-field issues as well. Mm. 
massive problems everywhere. Massive problems everywhere. Newcastle with the win. Broken Castle. Now have to see if they can actually beat Fulham this weekend. The quarterfinals anyway. West Ham are in it. They're going to be visiting Liverpool. You happy with that draw? Oh, so annoying. It's, like the <laughs> class, it's the classic, like, get really excited by a cup win. Oh, it's the draw. Well, and then uh, and then it, the last three Port Vale balls, were right there. It was the last three. The last <laughs> yeah, the last last four balls were West Ham. Yeah. I think Port Vale, Middlesbrough, and Liverpool, and obviously you end up with Liverpool away. Right. <sighs> Port Vale and Borough will play each other. Port Vale, who are one 0 winners over Jane Austen's Mansfield Town. Borough three two <laughs> victors late on against Exeter. Uh, Shout Everton. out for Darwin Nunez's goal, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. So, uh, 2-1, the Liverpool win over Bournemouth. Tell us about the Darwin Nunez goal. It was exactly the quintessential example of a Darwin Nunez goal. A terrible first touch. <laughs> right. I mean, Look, epically I, terrible. Uh, horrible. Yeah. And he looks up, thinks nothing of it, and just smashes it above the keeper, so who was already in place. His first touch sees the ball scurry past him about 10 yards <laughs> And you think, well, that's it. Yeah. Throw in. But he just fashions this incredible Amazing. shot from there. Amazing stuff. So, yeah, that was Liverpool beating Bournemouth with just the two goals to one. Uh, what else happened? Everton with 3-0 winners over their uh, manager, Sean Dyche's old side, Burnley. And they'll be facing Fulham in the quarterfinals. Fulham, meanwhile, were 3-1 winners over Ipswich. And Fulham, as I mentioned, are going to be facing Man United this weekend. If I can just slide swiftly over onto the Premier League. At Craven Cottage. At Craven Cottage, they haven't beaten, Luis, Man United in their last 17 meetings in all competitions, not since 2009. This is the one. Do you think it is the one? <laughs> I don't know. If there's a better time, it's now, isn't it? Well, the next United's next three fixtures are fixtures that Manchester United Football Club really should <laughs> win, right? Um, Copenhagen, away. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it feels, it feels like if they, if they really muck up in any of them, I do wonder if that will be it for, for Ten Hag. You think if they lose to Fulham, I think that's going to be it, doesn't they've, it? They've but the problem is, who do you replace them? They've lost the majority of their matches so far this season. Whoa! People talk. I mean, this might just Roy be social Keane media to the end nonsense. of the season. Yeah, that was Keno. the big shout on social Keno media. To the end, Keno till 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 the end of the year. Ugh, that'd be hilarious. I mean, that'd I be would really love funny. It. If you how I mean, how else to like increase the kind of the tenor of nonsense <laughs> around that club than throwing Roy Keane into the part middle? Part of, of a manager's success is often based on who has come before. So. A manager coming in will work particularly well if, if it's after another kind of manager like Antonio Conte or something. But after, do you know what I mean? When totally. they can reap the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I don't know, maybe Roy yeah. Keane after 10 You months. can sandwich yourself between former players. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, yeah. Eric Ten Hag and now Roy Keane. Sometimes when Premier League fixes come out, I like to cast deep into my mind's eye and think of what's the most kind of vivid example of that fixture. I think Fulham, Fulham Manchester United is that game, I think it was February 2007 when Ronaldo, Ronaldo ran through got. in the last minute and scored. And that... People forget that was obviously on the way United on the way to their first league title for a few years after a period of what we thought then was was decline. But I think we've we've since learnt that that was just a blip compared to to what we're in now. And you know I I can I agree with the guys that like Ten Hag is in a very odd position at the moment. But let's be honest, changing him won't make any difference really, will it? So uh, they're in a they're just stuck in this kind of groundhog stasis going round and round. Um, so, yeah, that's fun. All right, we'll be talking about it next week, I'm sure. For now, we move on to other fixtures from the Premier League weekend. Before you get back to this Athletic podcast, did you know it's just one of many made by The Athletic every week? 
I'm Abby Patterson, senior producer here at The Athletic, and I get to work across so many of our shows. But even I have my favourites. Sometimes you're just too busy for a full-length podcast. I get it. We've all been there. Well, we've got a show to help you. Get up to speed with all the football stories you need to know about with our daily football briefing. It's done and dusted. Saudi Arabia will host the 2034 World Cup. Got a bug for the women's game? Then full-time Europe is for you. It's our dedicated women's football podcast answering the questions you're asking from the WSL and Champions League. So what's going wrong at Arsenal? But perhaps you want to know exactly how a team has set itself up. Then come to the audio whiteboard and join Michael Cox and our analytics gurus as they dissect and examine the game like nobody else can. That's on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. I don't think I've ever seen a striker who reads the game so well. Just search The Athletic wherever you're listening to this podcast now and you'll find your next podcast obsession in no time at all. Now, let's get back to your show. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Premier League weekend, Saturday lunchtime. It begins with Fulham against Replica Shirt wearing Man United. Then from <laughs> three o'clock, you've got five matches in the slot that you used to be able to watch, Luis, in the good old days. Yeah. Brentford, West Ham, Man City, Bournemouth, Sheffield United, Wolves, Burnley Palace, and Everton, Brighton. At 5.30, ooh, Newcastle, Arsenal... On Sunday, Forest Villa, uh, the Centre Parks Classico, I call that. <laughs> uh, Luton Town, Liverpool's at 4.30. And then on Monday evening, Spurs, Chelsea. Right, OK. Duncan, as you now know from looking at the table, Spurs are top of the table. Arsenal and City are two points behind. Fourth, a point further back from them are Liverpool. And then just one point behind Liverpool are... The Villa. The Villa. Then you've got loads of teams, and then you eventually get down to the four teams currently who look the most likely to be uh, in the relegation zone at the end of the season. That's Bournemouth, who are one point clear of the bottom three, and then Luton, Burnley, and Sheffield United. All right. Uh, shall we begin with the final match of the round, which is Monday night? But it is Spurs hosting Chelsea with the return of Maurizio Pochettino. Tottenham has always enjoyed and loved and appreciated everything that Mauricio Pochettino did for them. But this is now a different era, a different time, a new journey for, for Spurs. I'm getting really romantic talking about Tottenham, just because I think I, like everybody else, has fallen in love with Postacoglu. Right, and also the Pochettino thing always felt like a bit of a bromance as well. Right, so, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm always a cheerleader for South American managers as well, so I've always enjoyed everything that Pochettino has done, even though he never got them a trophy, still got them to a Champions League final and all that stuff. It, it always felt like it wasn't enough, and Postacoglu has obviously created this new thing. So mm. I'm interested to see how Chelsea approach this, because we know what Tottenham are going to bring. Mm. Interesting little quirk of Spurs' season so far. Madison hasn't played a full 90 minutes in nine games. Interesting. Um, and Palace was the first game that Son completed 90 minutes in seven games. Like He takes his two best players off mm. every single game. Mm. And if that isn't a sign of confidence, like I don't know what is. He's got this real... 
belief in the rest of his team, and they, and it, and it has it is yet to punish them. I'm sure it will at some point, right? Especially when you consider there's often like bloody ten minutes of injury time at the end of the end of the game, and he's and he's taking off his two best players. And I, I'm sorry, this is becoming a bit of a Manchester United pylon, but for example, like Bruno Fernandez right. plays every minute of every single league game because. Ten Hag doesn't have that sort of level of confidence in the, in, in the rest of the team. Um, so I find that amazingly impressive. The, the, the one sort of one crumb of optimism uh, for Chelsea is that Rhys James is back, right? Um, and we do sort of forget that like Rhys James and Chilwell are probably the best set of attacking fullbacks in the league. I actually think your boys, Dina and Cash, are, are next in line. Now, I don't know if attacking fullbacks is the cool thing anymore because obviously Pep has decided to do four centre-backs across the back. But if Reese James, if, this is like a ridiculous if because it never happens, if he can stay fit, mm. then I th- and, and if Chilwell comes back, get those two playing and I think that could be transformative for Chelsea. Chilwell's a while that he, before he's back. Is it? I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, sure, it's quite a long it? time and we did a piece the other day which essentially showed that those two started more Premier League games together three seasons ago than they have in the subsequent three seasons. Oh, it's quite. like whenever... Whenever one's back, the other one's injured and, you know, vice versa. And it, you're right, that when they're together, it works really well. And without them, Chelsea are just not the same team. So I mean, I just think that Chelsea in many ways are the perfect type of opponent for Tottenham because when you watch Postacoglu's Tottenham, and to your point, Benji, about Madison and Son of seeing the full 90 minutes, it doesn't matter. They're such a collective unit. It's been a long time since I have seen such a well-organized pressing team. The moment the other side has the ball, they know exactly what to do, where to do it, how to do it. Chelsea, in many ways, because of the squad acquisitions and everything since Todd Bowley, look like individuals just trying to get wins, whereas Tottenham are the complete opposite. And being at home, I don't know, it could be like a banana skin for Tottenham, but I still see Monday night under the lights. I think it's probably going to be a Tottenham. Spurs but, yet to lose a game under their new manager. Only two managers in Premier League history have made longer unbeaten starts that's Frank Clark at Forest in 1994 <laughs> and Maurizio Sarri at Chelsea in 2018, remember? Wow. He actually went 12 games unbeaten at the start. Ooh. Weird, both smokers. Yeah, I mean, that's your link. That's what it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it. I mean, it's funny how Spurs season has gone from, oh, this is a nice start, oh, we're doing quite well, oh, we might be on the edge of the top four race, oh, we might be in the title race. If they beat Chelsea, let's not forget that, you know, they've lost 14 home games against Chelsea in, in the Premier League era. You know, Chelsea, have, other than maybe Manchester United, have had the kind of sign over Spurs all the time. And, you know, famously, the Battle of the Bridge, obviously at Sanford Bridge rather than at Spurs, but there's been plenty of occasions where Chelsea have spoiled Tottenham's party. If they can win on Monday... They are, I would say, properly in the title race. So it's, yeah. a, it's a massive game. Yeah, I have a lot of good friends that are big, loyal, lifelong Tottenham supporters, and one of them went with his uh, stepdad to for a big birthday party there at Tottenham, and he was talking to a few former Tottenham players, uh, ambassadors, etc. And they told me how, apparently, after every game, if you are in the stadium and you're part of the Tottenham staff, mm. you ran to the changing room to listen to Postecoglou speak because his oh, really? post-game speeches, his pre-game speeches. What, what does he say? I don't know, but they sound like, to you know. Me, I kind of feel he's, and I know he's not as cuddly as he looks, but I kind of expect him to do, you know, Bluey, Bluey's dad. I, yeah. I kind of expect something <laughs> Yeah, 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 lines. okay. Yeah. Gruff, but at the same time loving. I, I have like a, a friendly Tony Soprano kind of. kind of. Oh, yeah, that'll yeah, work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good show. Yeah. 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 What's uh, his name, Bluey's dad? I don't know. Does he no, actually he have absolutely a has, a, has a name. What's he called? He has to have a name. This is, okay. He's pretty much my hero. Oh, yeah? 
What's his name? Bandit. Bandit. Of course he's Bandit. Bandit Healer. Bandit. No, there's a lot of Bandit Healer about Postacoglu, actually. Yeah. I, I like think that. so. Just like th- this kind of real, you know, moral strand running all the way through him. We've had the era of managers coming in and looking at ketchup and saying Bandit, and then uh, hey. Postacoglu. <laughs> <laughs> That's well worth Duncan. That's what you've been up to. With, Chel- <laughs> with, with Chelsea, this, I was having this debate recently, and I, I think I might be wrong, but... Yes. I just don't think Pochettino is an elite manager. Like, what, what? Has the game moved on? Well, it's, it's more just like he had one brilliant season, right? In, in that he, at, at the top Two, table no. of European football. Well, getting, getting Spurs to the Champions League. Well, right? he, okay, runners Final, up 2017. Sorry, yeah. yeah, but what, yeah. what else has he done? No, I, I agree with Benji here. I think no. 2015 16, Final. they could. Yeah, but that's once. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. weren't that good to get to the Champions League final. Okay. They weren't that good in that season. They were, they really weren't. It was, it was 2016-17 when they should have won the league, and they possibly could have done the year before. That was, that was the peak round. Well, if they could have done it the year before, that's two good seasons. Yeah, but they didn't. Uh, Leicester won it. Like, right, like they didn't win it. The, the door, they the didn't win it because of the most historical, incredible achievement it, ever. Sorry, just to say, you, you don't have one good team at the end of the season and then everybody else had a bad season. Well, well that is kind of what happened. if Leicester win the Leicester. league, I'd say. I mean, it was, I, it was I the still best thing ever. I, I still don't count that. You don't count that. All right, what about getting to a Champions League final? That doesn't count? No, that's his major, major achievement. I think that's... But that's once. I think that's deserving what he did before he even came to the Also, with a transfer embargo, or no, they... Did they actually have a transfer bugger? Yeah, they didn't no, no. spend any money. That's what happened. They spent very little money. And, yeah. and, and, and Lewis is right. Like What he did with Southampton was impressive, right? Yeah. But we are, this, this is why I find what's going on at Chelsea so interesting. We are about to find out if Pochettino is an elite manager. Mm. Because if he can sort of sort this, this, this um, confusion out and this... And may, as, as Lewis says, there are a bunch of individuals playing together because there are a bunch of individuals that have just been signed, signed yeah. by, the, by the club. If he can do this with Chelsea... I will eat my words and accept right. that he is an elite manager. He's born to be a national team manager. That's all I'll say. You think? Mm. Yeah. A lot of people make the point, re his managerial acumen, that the game against Brentford last weekend, which saw Brentford win mm. yeah, for the third season in succession, yeah. was evidence of the fact that he just doesn't pick up on things so much or he doesn't have a, a plan B because he failed to anticipate Brentford's low block despite the fact that that's what they do. Duncan? But did we see that Robert Sanchez recorded the highest speed by a goalkeeper in a game this season? On his <laughs> back. So, so there's that's that. radical management for right. me. Put well, him up it, front, I think. Anyway, that's a big game on Monday. Big. Yeah. Yeah. Just ahead of all that European action, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, the Premier League's other unbeaten team so far are Arsenal, who despite that West Ham loss, will take that proud record into Saturday tea times. Clash at St James's Park with Newcastle. 4 4 Czech Teote. It's dealt with. Teote! Incredible! Newcastle United have pulled off one of the greatest Premier League comebacks of all time. It's one of the best games in the history of the Premier League, wasn't it? One of the best days in the history of the Premier League. Oh, yeah, Top 41 goals. Yeah. Joy. Yeah. What about this one? Will it be a good one, Newcastle against Arsenal? Well, statistically speaking, Arsenal do very well against Newcastle, right? 19 of yeah. the last 22, etc. They've How... won 19 of the last 22. Oh, really? But at Newcastle, at St. James's Park, feeling confident. Here's the thing. We know what Arsenal are going to bring. And granted, I think that after this hiccup in the Carabao Cup, they, you know, it, it's full on focus for Mikel Arteta. But... 
I'm actually intrigued to see what Newcastle do here, specifically with Callum Wilson, who I think can really cause a lot of damage in this game. It's a barometer, I think, for where Newcastle are actually at. They've played two of the big boys so far this season, which is uh, Liverpool and City. I think, and I think 10-man Liverpool as well. They lost them both. So this is their third chance to sort of show that they can be taken seriously as a top four contender this season. Came up short against Dortmund uh, last, in the last round of European action, although previously they had absolutely walloped PSG, which you'd call a big team. Yep, fair point. Mm. All right. Duncan, are you looking forward to that? Newcastle-Arsenal? Yeah, I think it's a big game, as Benji said, for, for Newcastle as a test, but I think the same for Arsenal. I mean, they are unbeaten, they are second, but it's not, they haven't really put in a statement performance yet, I don't think, um, other than Beating being City? very... Yeah, I mean, they were very controlled in that game, but it was a, it was a game of very few chances, whereas Newcastle Arsenal games tend to be, you know, a little bit more open. So, um, obviously, Jesus is out for quite a while. El now, Jesus. <laughs> Which, he yeah. bought it in Which... the trench, don't you remember? <laughs> Gracias, yeah, but... Padre. <laughs> Those mutants. Um, well, you talk about trenches. Well, Eddie Nketiah obviously is presumably going to get a run in the team now. Yeah. Um, is Arsenal's top scorer in the Premier League this season, but only one of his last 19 goals in the Premier League has come uh, north of London. And I'm no expert on maps, but I believe Newcastle is north of London. So, yeah. uh, again, What's the trench part? Well, that, I presume yeah. there's a trench once you get to the north of London for the rest of the country. Ah, I see. Yeah. And that's why yeah. he can't take his goals over it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay. (laughs) Arsenal level on points currently with Man City, who will be hosting Bournemouth. Uh, Would I be right in saying, Duncan, that this on paper is a bit more of a foregone conclusion? It's the most one-sided fixture in the history of football in this country ever. So, yeah, City have won. (laughs) I'm saying, I'm saying Bournemouth are due a shock result at some point, but how one-sided is it now? Well, City won all twelve of their games in the Premier League uh, and I think Bournemouth have never beaten them in 18 league games which is the worst um, run against you know from one team against another so I mean when City had Sterling he's, Raheem Sterling used to score in this game always um, they've since replaced him with you know Erling Haaland which probably worked out he's now up to 47 goals which takes him level with Swindon which is always a great point for any player yeah. in, the, in the Premier although League although Swindon uh, did it three games quicker we, we pointed out uh, they did. On Monday. Uh, they City did, yeah. are playing at home in this fixture where they have won every single game they've played so far this year. I think so you, you were chatting on Monday about the um, Grealish and Doku. I think, weirdly, whoever starts this game might be a bit disappointed because I think that will be proof of who's second choice Ooh. currently is. Well, they've Do- got young boys at home. Yeah. Week. It's always oh, tricky right? when yeah. there's a Champions League fixture right after. But young isn't boys it? at home. Ooh. That sounds like a great album. <laughs> You've got yeah. a grimace on your face, Jibbo. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> I think that, not sure that's going to be... Yeah, no, yeah. fair enough. With, mm. Anyone else with Doku just waiting for Pep to ruin him? No. Yeah, he's like, like he ruined Grealish, he ruined Foden. Like, he didn't ruin Grealish. He's ruined them he, all. He did for the neutrals. He, yeah, well, the point is he, 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 make, he makes them into winners. Well, like, no, come in on this because, uh, yeah, agree. you are... <laughs> Grealish crying over his three medals last no, year. No, 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 that's, that's, to see. That, no, no. Grealish is, himself doesn't care, but I agree with you. A fairly, he, he fairly, did change his game. Fairly major asterisk. Like, he makes these players into winners, like, yeah. which is what they want. And, and I guess is what... But what the neutrals want is to see just not entertainers anymore. mercurial, quicksilver talents like Just want to see some entertainment and fun and... And excitement, and that's what, like, yeah. you know, if Kudos had gone to City, he'd have ironed out the 
flair within within a couple of months. I think he'll probably do that with Doku, won't he, as well? No, well, the thing about Doku is that he really is, first of all, he's like a FIFA winger or okay. an EA FIFA, whatever the new video yeah. game is FC, called. FC, right? apparently. FC, that's the one. Where even though you kind of know what's coming, you can't stop it because he's so athletically gifted. Oh. His right stick adjacent. Yeah, exactly right. With the top, <laughs> with, with, with the speed on top of it to hold on. But I do agree with Benji that Guardiola will change his game. Right. Whether it doesn't matter to Doku himself because he just wants to be a winner or he has to be part of the system, that may be so. But he will change Doku's game. Yeah, 100%. boring. It's just typical. Messi pet. could have survived the Guardiola experience, but then I guess he's Leo Messi. Yeah. Mm. All right. Okay. I mean, it just doesn't stack up, that argument, because like City last weekend just took United to pieces. In there, yeah, but like a machine, players... that's Benji's issue, I think. Not in a yeah, fun way, Duncan. Benji is just still sad because Joe Cole went to <laughs> Chelsea and they said the same about him. And Joe Cole was a much better player at Chelsea and won loads of medals. So I, yeah. I, I think we're both we're, we're, we're both right, Duncan. Nice. Right. <laughs> on that note, let's move on to ooh, some interesting things that happened 10 years ago. Listeners, this is Matt Davis Adams, host of Straight Out of Cobham, your dedicated Chelsea podcast from The Athletic. Myself and the motley crew of Liam Toomey, Simon Johnson, Dom Fifield, and Luke Bosher are with you twice a week, every week this season, as we bring you all the news and views you could ever possibly want from in and around the club. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Listen, have you noticed there's been loads of long-range goals of late? We had Harry Kane at the weekend, Kamara or Kamara in Ligue 1, what was that, two weeks ago with that 58-metre goal? Remarkable. The world record, though, is a little bit longer, and it came on this day, 2nd of November, 10 years ago, 2013, when Stoke goalkeeper Azmir Begovic kicked his way into the Guinness Book of Records. Mark Hughes could be in trouble straight away. In fact, Stoke City have taken the lead, and it's gone all the way through and over Arta Boric. What an incredible beginning to the game. Begovic scoring there from just shy of 92 yards. And 
after only 13 seconds because that was the kickoff of the actual game. It, Duncan, is that the longest and also one of the fastest Premier League goals then? It's the longest. It's uh, it probably in the top 20 for quickest. Weirdly, that season, I think there were three goals all scored after 13 seconds. Really? So a, little, a little glitch in the matrix, possibly mutant cause. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> this one definitely but, aided by that pottery swirling yeah, wind. The though. Stoke went one. Stoke but Begovic didn't celebrate. That's the thing I remember about that goal. Out of respect mm. for his fellow he keeper. He put his hand up and need to apologise. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Shouldn't do that. Should have ran the length of the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Gloves off, top off. You should have celebrated the hell out of it. The game finished 1-1. Only one goalkeeper has scored a Premier League goal in the decade since, but who was it? Alisson. By the way, talking of gloves off, I'm sorry, it's such a tangent. But um, you want to see goalkeepers celebrating goals. Anyone remember Adrian's winning penalty in the League Cup against Everton? You're forgiven for not remembering. What did he do? The coolest thing he did is he was the final penalty, and as he started running up, he took his gloves off, as if to say... Won't be needing these anymore. <laughs> oh, that's cold. That's Scored genius. the goal, sent, uh, what's his name? I think in the run-up, he takes the gloves off. In the run-up. Joel Robles was in goal, and then he absolutely goes for it, knee slide to the corner, like one of the best Upson Park moments. That's a, that's a George Costanza sign for. They just, you'd retire after that, I think. Magic. All right. Ooh, also speaking of long-range goals... Luton Liverpool this week back in 2006 also featured another classic. Do you remember Xavi Alonso? Yeah, that was a great goal. Um, Although it didn't have quite the same dramatic punch because well, it kind of trickled over the line. It was it essentially did. a hockey no keeper moment. You know yeah. the yeah, uh, it was yeah. Okay, well you tell but, the story. Well, no, the best thing about it was you're right. It wasn't it was a bit of a bobbly finish mm. as befits Kenilworth Road, I guess. But the best thing was that Steven Gerrard was kind of free on the right and <laughs> was signalling desperately to get the ball, and and Alonso shoots, and Gerrard's absolutely fuming, and then sees it goes in the net and has to sort of go, oh, okay, fair uh, enough, yeah, I was wrong. But, um, yeah. Yeah. right, yeah, there you go. Uh, Liverpool are at Kenilworth Road again this weekend. A week ago, we were requesting that Jonathan Pierce get a fixture because it would just be the dream matchup for his. Game intro, etc. This one as well, ideally, if you're listening to BBC, because Liverpool haven't won a game at Kenilworth Road since you win again by the Bee Gees was number one. And, I mean, that's, this is Pierce territory here. Uh, the Hatters are also still waiting for their first Premier League win of the season at their own ground. But they're going to be taking on Liverpool at 4.30 in front of the Sky cameras. I think this game has the most 1980s energy of any fixture in the Premier Why? League this season because if if I mean as a very young child it felt to me in the 80s like Liverpool were always going to Luton on that plastic pitch I think in the way that clubs are allowed to bring in a special shirt for one game a season under current regulations are they? yeah you, you see it more and more in the last I'd let it years. go last week trolling Celtic with that mm. 1970 I think Luton I think Luton should have been allowed to bring back the plastic pitch for one game and and it should be this one. Because I've just got an image of like Ronnie Whelan and Jan Mulby in like quite bad high-tech trainers like struggling on the very hard, very flat, very bouncy Kenilworth Road plastic pitch. The cruciate ligament massacre. Yeah. Yeah, just have like Dr. Richard Stedman on on the side of the pitch operating (laughs) mid-game. Magnificent. By the way, Mm. Luton obviously need to get wins, especially at home, but you do have to have a special mention for their goalkeeper, Thomas uh, Kaminsky, who Mm. per statistics, obviously is the best in the league of keeping out of the goals he was expected to concede. He should have conceded nearly four more than he has according to XG. And by the way, we just played them, Villa just played 
Luton and he kept out <laughs> really? some ridiculous attempts. I mean, mm. Ollie Watkins should have scored probably a hat-trick in that game and he denied him. So he's going to really be needed here, obviously, against the likes of Salad, Nunez, Diogo Jota, etc. Et yeah. Liverpool, the second highest number of shots so far this season. Uh, we assume they're going to be still without Luis Diaz. Yeah, I have the latest on that. Obviously, it's a tragic situation mm. and... Uh, the military in Colombia, in Barrancas, uh, doing everything they can to find out how they can rescue him. There's been reports that whoever has taken him trying to get him out of the country, specifically the border with Venezuela, that's kind of been contested right now. But they're very optimistic mm. that they can find him within the next uh, few days. But we'll have to pray and see the best, obviously, to Lucho Diaz and his family. Absolutely. Have there been a lot of football-related kidnappings of this ilk of late. And I mean, how, how do they usually get resolved? Of late, not so much, oh. but there is a history of right. it, specifically in the 80s and even early 70s, because this is how these guerrilla armies get their money. This right. is how they finance their operations, specifically by kidnapping people of notoriety. Right. Not I mean, we don't know it's a guerrilla army, do we here? Or? We don't know yet. Okay, so yeah. obviously, yeah, that's speculation. Right. But uh, usually, this is where the narrative goes. Historically, right? yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, So, but the hope is that he will be All returned. Right. Yeah, uh, very much you know, so. Yeah. Okay, what else this weekend? Oh, Luis, Nottingham Forest, Aston Villa. As Villa celebrate one year of Unai Emery in charge. You, how long have you been a Villa fan? Since I moved to England. When would that be? In 92. 92. 92, 93. I was uh, a real-life Paddington Bear coming from Peru to England. <laughs> yeah. uh, I moved to the south of England. I didn't really connect with any club around the area, Arsenal, Tottenham, whatever. I lived in an area that was heavily Greek and heavily Turkish. The Turks thought I was Greek. The Greeks thought I was <laughs> Turkish. And I was like, I'm Peruvian. And they were like, we don't know what the f*** that means. <laughs> right. So I felt very lost. I, you know, I knew English, but not very well. I didn't have many friends until I made... One friend called Mark, uh -huh. he became my best friend for years to come, and he was a lifelong Villa fan, and he took me to his house, and there was Dalian Atkinson on the wall, and, and I just fell Ron in Atkinson love with Atkinson on the other wall. Yeah, exactly. And his family would take me to, to Villa Park uh, every home game, and, and it's, ever, it's been a love affair ever since then. And we came second in the Premier League debut, obviously, behind Manchester United. Oh, right, yeah, okay. So since then, mm. I mean, there have been some highs and lots of lows. What you've seen under Emery... In the last year, has this been the best times yet? When I was a child, John Gregory, Brian Little years obviously meant so much to me. I think this is, in the modern era, definitely in the Premier League era, the best time mm. to be an Aston Villa fan. And Unai Emery has, I'm not belittling this or any manager that came before him, but what he has done is unprecedented. He's taken 71 points from his 35 games in charge, which is just over two points per game and only I think Arsenal, Liverpool and Man City have taken more points than his Villa since he came yeah, in. Yeah, I believe that maybe even more than Liverpool. And I think it's important to remember that he's doing this specifically recently with some key injuries. I mean, Emiliano Buendia, Ale Moreno, like all these players have been right. out. And, and he, he picked up a team it. midway through a season as well. He's had a better start at Villa than Klopp did at Liverpool or Pep did at City. It's remarkable. You actually, you did an interview with him recently for yeah, ESPN. Yeah, I've met him a few times. I didn't do an interview with ESPN. So, and I know Damia Vidalani as well, mm. um, his right-hand man. And I, I'm not just saying this because I'm a, I'm a lifelong Villa fan, but he is... A remarkable gentleman, just what, what's, a good human being, what's and so he's obsessed about him? with right. the game. Yeah. He wakes up at five in the morning, 
and doesn't stop thinking about the game, goes to bed at 10 p.m. from Bonnymore Heath. He doesn't stop thinking about it. So he was obsessed with the game as well in his previous Premier League iteration at Arsenal. What's changed between then and now, do you think? Well, I think that it's important to remember that certain things and context is needed when he took over Arsenal. He took over Arsene Wenger. Just like Sir Alex Ferguson was essentially an institution mm. of the club. So it's very difficult he was there to do that. Yeah. Exactly. Number two, the squad in itself was in major transition. Major transition. So there were already things I needed to do. Three, it was his first time in the Premier League. His English wasn't as great. And to be fair to Arsenal, I don't think by fault of their own, they just found out during the process. Mm. I don't think they did enough to understand that or help him in that. Right. Whereas and he's got now somebody to help him with transfers. So much. He now controls everything at Villa and the ownership supports everything about it. Mm. And he has a support system that he never had at Arsenal. But the other thing is, despite all of this, he took them to the Europa League final. Yeah. Yeah. He got them higher than Arsene Wenger in his last season as well. And so when you actually look at that history of Unai Emery from the very beginning, from Almeria, even before that, he has always improved the club significantly. Maybe PSG is a, a different situation, but just like we were talking about Pochettino, or, I, I think that Unai Emery is at his best when he, when he enters a project that needs help. Mm. And that's exactly what's happened here with the right support system. It's okay. a remarkable achievement. In that support system, I didn't realize this, but Paco Ayestarán's in there as well, the yeah. guy who was, for many people, the kind of, a large part of the success of Rafa Benitez at Anfield. And when he left, that's when things, coincidentally or not, you know, a little bit of the he shine He brought in Monchi as well, obviously, and he knows Ooh, yeah. so he knows very well. So there is mm. a legitimate support system at, at Aston Villa. And that is the difference between anything in the past that he's done, specifically in the Premier League with Arsenal. Okay. One point off the top four. This is a tricky one, though, because obviously, mm. you know, Nottingham Forest at home are very, very good. Yeah. They're six games without a win. Last time they beat Villa was back in 2017. You were both in the championship at the time. Curiously, producer Charlie points out that only one player from the two squads from that game can be in action on Sunday, and it is... The Matty Cash Derby, of Who was course. playing for Nottingham Forest at the yeah, time. Yeah, they were very bitter when we got him, but we're very happy. Excellent. Like Benji said, he's one of the best fullbacks in the Premier League right now. Magnificent. All right, well, there you go. One point off the top four. Maybe you'll be in the Champions League positions by the end of... This weekend, we shall see. Anything else on Villa, Luis? Or should we move on to the other games this weekend? Just up to Villa. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. This 
This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Other games this weekend, well, away from the Premier League. What do you reckon, Benji, to some Copa Libertadores final, eh? It's an Argentine-Brazilian clash at the Maracanã. Sounds tasty. As Boca Juniors, or Juniors, possibly, take on Fluminense. Fluminense are managed by the interim Brazil manager, Fernando Diniz. Although, have you seen this increasingly strong support for him being kept on and this Carlo Ancelotti fellow staying back in Europe and sorting out some other team's problems like his own? As uh, Lula, the Brazilian president, said, he should sort out Italy's problems before he comes and meddles in our national team. Romario, what did Romario say? He doesn't want Ancelotti to be anywhere he, near he the He was Brazilian quite specific. Team, yeah. Ancelotti can go and get f- yeah, I'll I, I let you say that. There's uh, no way know. to speak about Carlo. Well, this is very much the Brazilian sentiment always. Mm. Okay. They want their own people. I think that's right. right. You want a national team manager to come from that country. Otherwise, what's the I point? I actually think that should be a rule. Yeah. I th- I th- I th- well, the players mm. ha- the players have to come from that country. At, Why should... And, and, I also, and the support staff yeah. as let well. Me just the speak. entire team. Let me yeah. just speak as somebody from... Peru. Right. <laughs> Sometimes that's not always right. great. Ricardo Gareca, the Argentinian manager, has got us to the 2018 World Cup. So I get it. And I think that when you're... You should have to take out Peruvian nationality. I think when you're in England or a Germany or in mm. Italy, like it's very, uh, you know, uh, good to say things like this. But I think when you're a developing nation that's really trying to find their way out, sometimes you're just trying to grab anybody that's willing to save them. So, I But I understand. I, I do get the philosophy that it should be somebody from your national, from your from your country. But this Copa Libertadores final yes. is going to be hopefully amazing okay. because there's so many storylines here. Okay. Boca Juniors, the second most successful club in Copa Libertadores history behind Independiente. They've won six, they're going for seven, but they haven't won since 2007. Fluminense, like you said, Fernando Diniz has never won it. In fact, they've never won an international trophy. This is it. Mm. This could be it. So it's Argentina against Brazil. They did get the Brazil. final ones. 20, yes. 2008, they lost some penalties. But they lost. Uh, mm. So there's Argentina-Brazil. The last three Copa Libertadores finals have been all Brazilian affairs. And then you've got so many other story in the lines. Like you've got Marco Rojo, who's suspended for this game. But you've got Sergio Romero, Edison Cavani for Boca Juniors. And on the other side, Marcelo. Real Madrid's Marcelo, who's looking to add, a, you know, it comes back to his, you know, uh, the club that it started all with him to try and to win a Copa Libertadores with Champions League titles, etc. Uh, it's just it's, hopefully it's, it's a clash of philosophies as well okay because Boca Juniors in the tournament have only scored 12 goals in the entire thing yeah but they're very good resiliency they've needed penalty shootouts to get to the final yeah Fluminense yeah. have scored 22 goals Fluminense the... have a player who scored 12 goals like Boca Juniors on his own who's Argentinian <laughs> Argentinian but his name is German Kano who I thought that's Harry isn't it right. <laughs> <laughs> probably Kano but it doesn't work quite as well yeah he's top scorer in the in the competition. And then for those, for the Premier League fans, you know, there's certain players that are attracting attention. Andre, the midfielder, the uh-huh. defensive midfielder from Fluminense. Liverpool went in for him. We looked at him as well. West yeah, Standard as well. but obviously they wanted to keep him specifically right. for this reason. Oh, they've also got Edgerton Cavani up front. Did you mention that? I did. Oh, um, who that. hasn't been great. He did score in the last game, missed mm. his penalty in the penalty shootout. So he hasn't been lighting it up, but you never know in a final that his presence could Visu- be Visually, Edison Cavani at Boca Juniors just makes sense, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. The, the, if only we could watch this game at a reasonable hour. Oh, you can. It's on at 8 o'clock Saturday evening. Perfect. And, and it's on BBC iPlayer. And so look out for Valentin Barco as well. Okay. Man, man City won him, Brighton won him. A lot right. of, I hope he goes to Newcastle. Yeah. Because no, Villa, man, come on now. 
No, but the bark. Oh, uh, ah, now yeah. I get you. Yeah. Super. Back home. Ooh, some news that Danny Drinkwater's retired. Title winner at Leicester. He'll always have title at Leicester. And that was a magnificent achievement. Having a pro career is a magnificent achievement. The way his, his career tailed off a bit, though, hopefully that's not going to in any way spoil all the good memories for him. Moved to Chelsea that didn't quite take off. He also played for Villa, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah it he was... played for England as well yeah. in that period. He was a brilliant player, just classic big club talent hoarding. Had to throw £30 million at Danny Drinkwater, who was only ever really going to sit on the bench. Yeah, it was a panic. Got Sid World. So he got Sid World, exactly. Who also played for the He got Food World as well, didn't he, Duncan? <laughs> yeah, Drinkwater eat food, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was his restaurant. Yeah. He opened a restaurant called... He did he... open, yeah. Oh, was wait, it... this isn't a joke? No, no, this is true. Can we... What was the actual name of the restaurant? Oh, my God. Producer Charlie's confirming that it is... Yeah, it's food, food well, well, yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> Drink, water, eat food would have made sense. That would have been yeah. Drink, water, food well. Food as well? I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of better. What, food well? <laughs> yeah. The, it's, food, food, food well, it's, cool. it's very like a team on The Apprentice having to quickly come up with a... <laughs> nice there you go. Well, good luck with uh, whatever his post-playing career holds to Danny Drinkwater. And uh, ooh, Everton Brighton this weekend for those still playing. How about Everton Brighton? That's Saturday at three o'clock. So no, you can't watch it. Dice against Deserby. This is only their second meeting ever. What happened in the first one? Only one of the bigger shocks of last season. Do you remember oh, when? Oh, that's right. Brighton, Brighton were all over them. Brighton hosting Everton at the Amex. This was in May. And Everton won 5-1. That's Lewis. right. Yeah, that's right. It was basically Brighton had the entire game. Possession, possession, possession. And every time they lost the ball, they conceded. Magnificent. <laughs> I mean, like fetching cheddar from Danny Drinkwater's <laughs> restaurant, um, a food well, uh, Brighton do struggle with a deep block because um, right. they obviously <laughs> lost to West Ham. That was very complicated. Um, they lost to West Ham this season. Uh, and it's, you know, Deserby does struggle against teams like this. And I fancy Everton for this one. They're, they're on the rise. I do worry about Brighton a little bit. Okay. And the Serbi has talked about it. Losing players like Alexis McAllister and Moise Caicedo, no matter how good the recruitment is, no matter how well they bring yeah. players up, mm. it's difficult, especially when you're in European competition. And Everton, Everton on the up. Talked in three the... wins in their last five. Yeah. Three nil midweek against Burnley with they, Ashley Young scoring. Yeah, and they did an absolute job on us last weekend. West Ham weren't particularly good, but they were they were great. And actually they're they're the two players that that, that really impressed me were the fullbacks, Mikalenko and Patterson. They kept okay. Bowen and Pakitar quiet. Hmm. But I thought, you know, Everton's thing was they're a very, very strong core. Um, and, and Branthwaite, we've talked about it, it was fantastic. He'll play for England. He actually reminded me, and I promise you I mean this as a compliment, of um Harry Maguire when he was at Hull, um emerging as this really impressive, strong fluid centre-back and obviously that, that trajectory didn't quite continue all the way through his career but yeah no I, I think um, you know Everton feel like Everton for the win? Yeah they feel like they've now been sort of comprehensively diced like you know that, that club looks like that, that team looks like a diced team and, and, and Brighton are just not they're certainly not hitting the highs of last season whether they will you know, you know click into gear again we'll, we'll see hmm. Uh, Burnley, meantime, Dyche's former side, have now been uh, completely companied, probably. Uh, they are going to be taking on Crystal Palace. That's Saturday, 3 o'clock. 
they could become the first team in English top flight history, like ever, to lose their first six home games of the season. Crikey, Duncan. Tough place to go, isn't it, Southmore? <laughs> for Burnley. Right. Roy Hodgson has been managing for 47 years. Vincent Company has been live for 37. <laughs> oh, my God. Quite a contrast there. Also this weekend, you've got Sheffield United against Wolves. The Blades, as we mentioned on Monday, now the only team, professional team in the country without a single victory. How many points have they got? Just the one so far. So Derby's record in r- real yeah, risk here. They're embarrassing themselves. They rank bottom for goals scored, total shots, expected goals, expected goals against shot faced and goals conceded and the crucial points. One small crumb of hope for them is that, that um, this will be Wolves without Neto. And I yes. think we'll actually we'll see just how good Gary O'Neill actually is doing mm. um, in this game. Yeah, because that's so a good far point. it's been, is, you know, yes, we assume he's, we'll hear he's, it as he's, well. He's, yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, exactly. Yeah, line by line. But um, you know, if it, has it has it been Gary O'Neill doing a good job, or has it been Neto in this sort of transcendent form? We'll, we'll, we'll find out. Because Pedro Neto has been magnificent. It's been quite amazing. By the way, your point about Sheffield United, it is something to be said about the three promoted teams really struggling this year. There's really? clearly even a, Luton. Would you? Well, they're 18th. I know, but it, that, that's kind of what you. They're you know they're not cut adrift. They're only one point. Behind Bournemouth, that's true. That, yeah, out of the three, they're probably the ones that are probably doing the bed. I, I that's still what everyone see... keeps saying is the only reason I mentioned. <laughs> but they still have to. They still have to pick up points. They have to. Yeah. They, and and the, uh, to me, the bigger argument is the separation between the three promoted teams and everybody else. I think so, it, uh, yeah, it's there's pretty a large. four point gap between uh, Nottingham Forest in 16th, and then you have got Bournemouth. And a point behind them, the bottom yeah, three. Yeah, I would add Bournemouth so to this. Story. There, yeah. There's quite a lot of existential concern about, you know, what does this mean that the three teams that have come up are, are quite bad this year? Yeah, I don't. It's just the way it is. I think in the same way you have like some summers are just rainy. It's just yeah. it's just a year when it's fine. I'm sure right, next year will be. But yeah, I'm I'm quite vexed about this, as you can tell. Mm. Of course, last season the three promoted sides all stayed up. That's not happening. Mm. No. Doesn't look like it, huh? Let's talk about something that always happens, shall we? And that is Brentford beating West Ham. That's the <laughs> only game we haven't mentioned so far from this weekend's fixtures. And Brentford are hosting West Ham Saturday at three o'clock. They played each other. This is in the Premier League, the start. I don't know what before that. Yeah, would James, I don't know if you've heard of a little competition meetings. called the League Cup of last season. <laughs> In which we put them to the sword via their old boy side, Ben Rama. Nice. So, what was the score? Uh, I'm going to say 1 0. I was oh, there. Right. So That's I putting to the sword, all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, played for 1 4 for Brentford in the Premier League, which is remarkable. The Bees are looking for their third victory in a row, whereas West Ham in the league have only won one of six. And that was against Sheffield United. So, hmm. But they've sorted everything out, as you mentioned earlier, with that victory over Arsenal. What do you think? Uh, score draw would probably make sense, wouldn't it? I worry about um, Mbumo. He's, mm. um, yeah, he's he, him and Neto have been sort of the two breakout, non-top six players of the season. I think really, really, really impressive. Um, okay, Mbumo. Jared <laughs> yeah. Bowen, though. Jared Bowen, exactly. Bowen through the middle, could us on the right. The He's yeah. looking to become the first player in Premier League history to score in the first six away games. Ah, that's right, Ooh. isn't it? Of the yeah. campaign. He didn't score in a single Premier League game on the road last season, and now yeah. he's looking to break that record. All right, then. Magnificent. That's uh, that's the Premier League weekend, uh, listener. Of course, Sunday evening we'll get together to talk about what's happened. For now, I salute you and our panel, 
Benji, Luis, Big Duncan, and producer Charlie in the booth. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mind that storm, and we'll catch up with you early doors on Monday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.